You know, if you've ever read the Gospels, when I refer to the Gospels, I'm talking about the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You already know that when Jesus was on this earth, he was, for the lack of a better term, irresistible. I mean, people followed him everywhere he went. Children flocked to him. When Jesus was on this earth, you either loved him, you hated him, but you couldn't ignore him. He was never marginalized. He was an irresistible force with an irresistible message. In fact, he was so irresistible, eventually the religious leaders thought, we got to get rid of this guy. Man, he's messing up our gig, right? In fact, I'm going to begin a brand new series next weekend that we're calling Broken. And we're going to be talking about some of the cast of characters that surrounded Jesus, that played a role in Jesus eventually ending up on the cross. Next week, we're going to look at Caiaphas, the high priest. And each week, we're going to learn some lessons from the decisions that these individuals made at crucial times in their life. And I got to tell you, there is some direct application for every one of us. So next week, we'll start that new series, Broken. But you know the story. They succeeded. They got Jesus on the cross. They killed him. <clears throat> Just as he predicted, he was buried. Three days later, he came back to life. And when he came back to life, he spent some time in Jerusalem with his followers. He appeared to a number of people. And then before he ascended back to heaven, you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it's as if Jesus said, listen, I'm leaving. You're staying. Don't worry, don't panic, don't freak out because it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you and you're going to be my witnesses. In other words, Jesus says, you're going to get the power to carry the message, to keep the dream alive, to spread the message. It's going to begin right here in Jerusalem. And then it's going to bubble up and it's going to spill over into Judea. And then it's going to make its way to Samaria. And eventually Jesus says, my life-changing message of grace and forgiveness and the ability to be reconciled back to God through what I've done for you on the cross, it's going to make it all the way to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascended back to heaven. And sure enough, the, that small band of followers, they stayed right there in Jerusalem. A few days later, the Holy Spirit came. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. After that happened, Peter, who just a few days earlier denied three times that he had even known Jesus, but Jesus has come back to life. And as I've said before, anybody who dies and comes back to life, Peter's like, I want to be on his team, right? Now Peter has no fear whatsoever. He walks out, he finds a corner somewhere in downtown Jerusalem, and he preaches this life-changing message of Jesus Christ that he was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, who died on the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind, was buried and rose again and is alive to empower anyone who trusts in him, who follows him, to empower them to be the person that he created them to be. And when, Jesus, when Peter shared that message, Acts chapter 2 tells us that immediately 3,000, not just people, 3,000 Jews who had been raised in Judaism. 3,000 immediately because... Not only had they seen Jesus die, many of them had seen him come back to life. 3,000 people became followers of Jesus Christ that day. They accepted the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, and they became, right there in Jerusalem, the first local church. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or not, but ever since that time, the local church represents Jesus Christ on this earth. That's why he left us here. He gave us the authority. He gave us the power. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're his ears. We're his eyes. We're the ones that are to be the difference makers for the kingdom of God here on planet earth. And I want you to know if you're new to hope, that's the kind of church that we set out to create from the time we started this church 20 years ago. We didn't want to just be a replica of another church. We didn't just want to be a better version of an older version of church. 
We decided we want to be what God called the church to be originally in Acts chapter 2. Let me read a couple of verses. It begins in verse 44. It says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Think about this now. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. It doesn't mean that everybody believed what they believed, but people looked at them and they admired them for what they were standing up for. And then it says this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, as I said before, that was church at its absolute best. I don't know that it's ever been duplicated. But I do know this, here at Hope, if we're gonna be our best, somehow we're going to have to develop and experience the kind of community that they were experiencing in Acts chapter two. We're gonna have to connect with one another in such a way, I know what's going on in your life, you know what's going on in my life. There has this, to be this natural sense of belonging, this natural sense of community, this natural sense, hey, we are in this together. Now, let me ask you, why is that so important? It's because here at Hope, we believe that life change in other words, becoming what God created us to be. We believe that life change best happens within the context of structured relationships where there is life on life. In those environments where there is accountability, it's when people know what's going on in our world. It's when people can pray for us when we're going through tough times and they can celebrate with us when we're going through the good times. They can support us, they can care for us, they can encourage us. We believe that this is the environment that God can and God will do great phenomenal things in our lives, things that would just blow our mind. And even though deep down inside, this is kind of what we all really want. We want this sense of belonging and community. Even though it's what we deep down inside all really need, if we're really honest, it's really, really tough to live out. And the reason I think it's tough to live out is because I think our human natural tendency is to separate our internal spiritual lives from our external relational lives. In other words, I think for Christians, there's a tendency to think, you know, I've got God over here in this area of my life. And I pray to him and mostly he ignores me. But every once in a while, he shows up and he does something unique in my life. So I got my spiritual thing going on over here, but over here I've got my family, I've got my friends, I've got my neighbors, over here I've got my business, I've got the people that I work with, and hopefully every once in a while God's gonna show up over here and do something. But for some reason, there seems to be this artificial barrier between what's going on in our lives spiritually and what's going on in our lives relationally. Well, I want you to understand the Bible teaches against that way of thinking. Because the Bible teaches this, even though your relationship with God is personal, it was never intended to be private. Let me share that with you again. Even though your relationship with God is personal, it was never intended to be private. A lot of us, we like to keep it private, especially men. We say things like, well, it's just too personal. I'm not sharing what's going on in my life with anybody, right? Or we kind of have this attitude, what's going on between me and God is just between me and God. Here's the problem. Things like life change, things like priority change, things like spiritual formation, things like spiritual maturity. Understand, these things happen within the context of community. These things happen within the context of relationships. You know what that means? That means that the best thing you can do as a Christian when it comes to your walk with God, to advance your walk with God, is to take maybe what you've kept private all of your life 
and began to make it public with some people who will listen to you and celebrate with you and love you and cry with you and pray for you. They will come alongside you and they will do life with you. Now, I want you to understand, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, this, this isn't This isn't new. In fact, I want to show you a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, if you don't have any clue where that is, just watch the side screen. And I want to read these verses to you because the writer of Hebrews absolutely destroys this argument when it comes to my spiritual life. It's just between me and God. Look at what he says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly. See, that's that's a great word. It's like, let's not be wishy-washy about it. In other words, we don't want to be over in the weeds one day and in the ditch the next day and way high with God one day and then way low one. He says, we want to be focused. We want to be right on track. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, hey, as a Christian, do you really want to be consistent in your walk with God? As a Christian, do you really want to see victory over temptation? Do you want to see consistency in your marriage? Do you want to see consistency as a parent? Do you want your walk with God to be unswerving? Do you want to finish well? And I think every one of us who've made the decision, we've crossed the line to become a follower of Jesus Christ, the answer would be absolutely, as a Christian, that's what I want. Verse 24, this is what he says. Then, in other words, if that's what you want, if you want to be unswerving, Let us consider how we may spur. It's an interesting word in the Greek. It means to encourage. It means to motivate, prod, maybe even nag if necessary. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So the writer of Hebrews, he says this. Did deep down inside, do you really want to be unswerving in your relationship with God? Which I think the answer is yes. He would say, then you need to connect with a group of people that you've given permission to spur you on in the areas of your life that you want to be consistent, the areas of your life where you need to be consistent. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. One of the things I love about hope is there's so many people here who are brand new Christians. You are really just getting serious about your relationship with God and what he's made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. But one of your secret fears is this, and you're not going to tell anybody, but one of your secret fears is, as I talk about every week, what the Christian life looks like, what, what are the principles and precepts, what are the laws that God, the standards that God is holding us to, one of your secret fears is deep down inside, you're not going to be able to pull it off. And it's not because you're not committed, you're committed. But as you look at the temptations you face every day, As you look at the the, the struggles that you face in your marriage, as you look at the struggles that you face maybe as a college kid in your dating life, or if you look at a struggle that you face with your kids, if you look at your financial habits and patterns, there's this fear, there's this concern deep down inside, God, I want to be unswerving. I want to track every step with you. But deep down inside of me, God, I don't know if it's in me to pull it off. You ever have that fear? Well, let me go ahead and assure you, it's not in you to pull it off, okay? Not if you decide you're going to do it all alone. So the writer of Hebrews, he comes along and he tells us, listen, the Christian life really is a team sport. The Christian life really is a group effort. It really does take a village to bring about the consistency that we want in our relationship with God. In fact, I'll I'll tell you something. You show me a Christian any age 
whether they're in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, young adult, middle-aged adult, senior citizen, you show me a Christian any age that's an unswerving Christian. In other words, they're maturing, they're growing, they're learning to be consistent in their walk with God. They've broken their bad habits. Somehow they've changed their priorities. You show me a Christian like that, and I will show you a Christian who is in meaningful relationships with other people. And they've given those people permission to spur them on into love and good deeds, to spur them on, to hold them accountable in the areas where they want and where they need to be consistent in their Christian walk. But you show me someone who's made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, and maybe you ran right out of here and went to the Christian bookstore and bought a big old study Bible. Maybe you were even baptized. You're committed. I mean, even if you have to miss a weekend, you go online, you watch the message online. But you continue to struggle and struggle and struggle. You continue to be inconsistent. One day you're way over here. One day you're way over here. One day you're on a spiritual high. One day you're like, I don't even know if God exists, right? You can't avoid temptation in your life. You can't break bad habits that have been in your life for years. You show me someone like that. And I'll show you someone who is not connected in meaningful relationships. I'll show you someone who hasn't empowered other people to walk alongside with them on their spiritual journey. I'm telling you, this principle of connecting with others, one of our goals here at Hope is that we'll connect with other people in relationships. This, this principle of connecting with others, it will make all the difference in the world when it comes to your Christian life. Because as I said earlier, sure, the Christian life is personal, but it was never intended to be private. So I'm just going to ask you this weekend, once again, I'm going to ask you to think about it. I'm going to ask you to go a step further, to commit to getting into a small group, to be intentional about connecting with other people. What's a small group? Pretty simply, it could be six to ten individuals. It could be couples. It could be men. It could be women. It could be college students, but it's people that commit to meeting together on a regular basis. And when you get together, I think weekly is the best way to do it, but when you get together, we're going to ask you to do three things. First of all, we want you to pray together. We want you to pray for one another. Second, we want you to get to the point where you trust those in your group and you'll begin to share what's really going on in your life so you can be encouraged and sometimes so that there can be accountability. Plus, there may be somebody in your group who's gone down that road and struggled and you might find how they got victory over that area of their life. And then we're going to encourage you to study God's word together. In other words, we want you to do life together. We want you to encourage one another, support one another. We want you to pray for one another. We, we want you to build meaning relationships. And the reason it's so important that we be intentional about building these meaningful relationships is because, let's face it, a lot of people, they're kind of blown away by a church the size of hope. You know, the average church in America is 77 people. 77 people. Well, if you show up at a church on the weekend that has between nine and 10,000 people, you look around and it's easy to think things like, man, will I ever meet anybody here? Will I ever be able to develop any relationships here? If I'm sick, is anybody going to notice? If I die, is anybody even going to show up at my funeral in a church this big, you know? If I'm going through a tough time, am I going to be supported? Is anybody really going to care? We see a small group is that place where real relationships can be developed so those kinds of issues, those kinds of potential problems can be addressed. Amen. That's why I've said from day one, listen, at Hope, to become larger, we have to become smaller. Because if you don't, you're going to get lost in the crowd. We've got to figure out a way to connect other people into meaningful relationships. By the way, let me just say this. If you only show up here 
for the message and a little bit of music on the weekend, Hope Community Church is not going to have that much of an impact in your life. I can just tell you right now. You forget 90% of what I say within the first two hours, and that just really ticks me off. I'll be honest with you, but that's just... But if you get in a small group, that can change. Now, I have a skill, I have a gift, I have ability. I don't like to flaunt it, but I'm going to bring it out this morning. Um, I can read your mind. And right now, I know what some of you are thinking. And you're processing all the reasons this just isn't for you, connecting with others, being in a small group. And, and, and some of you right now, this is what you're thinking. And this is mainly for those of you, you've been in church for a while, you've been a Christian for a while, you've got a giant Rari study Bible, you know, you got a Greek to English New Testament, you have just enough commentaries to be dangerous. And you're like, man, I don't have to go to a small group to learn about the Bible. I can study the Bible by myself. Well, if I'm honest with you, um, I don't think I've ever learned anything new in a small group about the Bible. I'm not sure I've ever gotten in the car after a small group and say, wow, that point that Fred brought up, never heard that before. I don't think that's ever happened to me. So I just want you to understand, going to a small group is not about learning more. Most of us know a lot more than we're ever applying. It's not about going deeper. You know what it's about? It's about clarification. It's about application. You know, our, our, our small groups are sermon-based. That means you get together during the week and, and, and you, you say, wait a second, that comment Mike made last week, did, did anybody else get that? What did he mean by that? I've never heard that before. Or maybe I'm giving a series like we just talked about, generosity. And you're like, you can sit around with a group of people you trust and say, how did you, is anybody here become a generous person? How did you pay off your debt? How did you get rid of your student loans? How did you rearrange your financial priorities so that you could become this generous person who can tithe? Or maybe it's about serving, or maybe it's about forgiving, and you're now in an environment where you can sit down and say, man, when I hear Mike talk about forgiveness, I don't get it because this is what this person did to my life, and I can't forgive them. And there'll probably be some people there who can say, well, let me tell you what happened in my life and how I got through it and how I cut the chain to the past so I was free to move forward in my relationship with God. It's about clarification and application. It's about, it's about becoming a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. It's, it's what we talked about in our series in James. It's about figuring out how to apply God's word and live it out in our lives. So yeah, you can study the Bible on your own, but going to small groups, not just about studying the Bible, learning more about the Bible. Others of you are thinking, well, I'm not doing this because I don't like new people, you know. I mean, some of you, you're like shy, you're introverted. Maybe you got like sweaty feet and they stink and, and you're like, what if I go to someone's home and they're one of those weird families that makes everybody leave their shoes at the front porch. Nobody can wear shoes in their house or something. And my feet start stinking. How am I going to deal with something like that? See, these are the kind of things you guys are thinking because I get your emails, right? <laughs> Let me just say something about uh, introverted and shy. I may act like it on the weekend and I may be able to put on a good act, but I don't really like new people all that much. I'll be honest with you. I've taken the Myers-Briggs. I'm an ESPN. And, uh, <laughs> but literally, if you, if you looked at my breakdown, one half of my personality is introvert. One half of my personality is extrovert, which means when I need to be on or want to be on, I can be on. But when I'm done with you, I'm totally done with you. I don't want to see you at my door with your little blind kids selling Girl Scout cookies. You know, I, I just want to go home get in my recliner, shut the drapes, and watch the ACC tournament. You know what I'm saying? So, I, In fact, when Laura and I go to a party and there's a bunch of new people I don't know, I can tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to find one person I do know, and I'm going to sit in the corner. 
And I'm going to talk, and I'm going to wait for Laura to get tired so I can take her home, because odds are by that point she will need a designated driver. So, I mean, I, 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 I know my role. You guys, you guys pray for her, would you? So this idea of being in a group of people I don't know, awkward for me, don't like it, uncomfortable, because what if I open up and say something about my life, and in five minutes it's on Twitter and Facebook, and I'm unemployed, right? So everything in me pushes back against that, and that may be true of you, but you don't go to a small group just to meet new people. Nothing wrong with that. That's not really a great reason to go to one. Some of you are thinking, I'm just too busy to be in a small group. And I get that, but I bet you your life isn't any busier than mine. I mean, I really do work. I know some people say, but I really do. Just the nature of this job, I work seven days a week. And then you try to start a campus like, like uh, Agape in Haiti. And even your vacations involve going to Haiti, you know, and, and trying to encourage and to mentor and to develop that campus there. And you look, man, I don't have any, I don't, listen, I don't have time for hobbies. I don't play golf. I don't shoot guns. I don't jump rope. I'm not into cheerleading because it's not a sport. I have considered ice dancing. I just don't have time for it right now, you know? And because I'm busy, I, I'll be honest with you, when, when small group rolls around, rarely do I look forward to it. Aren't I a great example? Be like me. Don't be like me. Be like Chase. You know, be like Brian or something, right? So why do we join a small group? Well, first of all, it's not because of any one group, anyone, I mean, any one person or couple that you're going to connect with over the years that's going to make a difference in your life. You join a small group because of the cumulative value and impact of what happens in the context of those relationships that you build over time. People often ask me, it's kind of a weird question, what's your inner circle? How do you get into your inner circle? Well, I don't have an inner circle. Uh, my closest friends at Hope are not the elders. Most of the elders, I've never been in their home. I don't even know where they live. It's not my staff. I have 140 staff, and I'm not proud of it, but some of them, I don't even know their names. It's not the spiritual leaders. It's not the top givers of Hope Community Church. You know who it is? People that we've been in small groups with over the years. Those are the people we vacation with. Those are the people we have dinner with. That's the people that we do life. Even though we're not in groups anymore, those are the people that impact our life. Because, see, as you watch them grow, as you journey with them, as you see how God works in their life, it encourages you that God can do some amazing things in your own life. I'll never forget a few years ago um, when our boys were teenagers, we decided, hey, we're gonna start a small group for parents of teenagers. We figured we all had one thing in common. We had at least one teenager, which means we had at least one person living in our home who was demon-possessed. I mean, so we figured we got a common bond, we'll get together. And uh, we got together, it was Greg and Mary Decker's home. They, uh, they've been around for years. And uh, a bunch of parents showed up who had teenagers and were pulling our hair out. And we're like, what do we do? And we, I think we actually watched a video every week about how to be a godly parent through the teen years. Uh, but I'll never forget one time, I'll never forget, uh, we had a couple, and they said, man, I got something to share. We're so excited. What is it? We finally convinced our 16-year-old son to only smoke pot on the weekends. <laughs> We're like, yeah, he's only breaking the law two days a week, right, right? But you know what deep down inside we were thinking? Maybe there's hope for my kid in whatever situation they're in, because if it's happening in their life, maybe something can, but I mean, where else can you get that? Where else can you be in a situation where you're reminded, I am not doing this alone. I am not in this alone. I am not the only one struggling in this area. And where else do you get to track with people as they journey with God? And as you track with them and as you watch what God is doing in their life, 
your faith is strengthened. And as they watch what God is doing in your life, uh, 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 we watch them, our faith, and, and, their, and their faith is strengthened when they watch what's going on in our lives. And, it, and all of a sudden, it's just this life on life, and you begin to change, and you begin to grow, and you're encouraged. But maybe the best reason you join a small group is because it gives you more potential to impact people through your life than anything else you can do. In fact, let me ask you some questions. Just by a show of hands, how many of you plan to be alive in 10 years? Just raise your hand. If somebody doesn't have their hand up, give them a little hug. Give them back a hug. Right? Just give them a little hug, you know? Here's another question. How many people do you plan to influence for Christ and the kingdom of God over the next 10 years? I hope that is in your plan somewhere. Here's my third question. What's your plan for impacting people for Christ over the next 10 years? You ever thought about that? How am I actually going to make a difference in the world for the kingdom of God? For some of you, you would be honest, you know, well, I'm not, I don't even tell people I'm a Christian. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to live a good life and try to be a good example. You're kind of like an undercover Christian. Only God knows for sure. You know what I'm saying? And somehow you think, well, that's going to make an impact, you know? Some of you are like, well, you know what? I tell you what, Mike, I'm not one of those who go around talking about my faith. But if somebody ever comes up and asks me how to be a Christian, I'm going to tell them. Well, isn't that big of you? I mean, how else do you respond to that? Hey, could you tell me how to be a Christian? No, go to hell. I mean, <laughs> well, that's not much of a plan, right? Or maybe, hey, I tell you what, Mike, I figured it out. I put a fish on my car, and I'm just going to drive around the triangle and impact <laughs> for the kingdom of God with my fish on my car, right? That's a stupid plan. So until you come up with a plan, or maybe a better plan, would you consider this plan? I mean, think about this. If you would just get into a small group and open up about your life and allow God to do what he wants to do in and through your life, and then say after a year, maybe 18 months, you decided, listen, I'm going to break away from this group, and I'm going to start a new group, and say you repeated that every year for 10 years. At the end of 10 years, you would have impacted hundreds of people through your life. And if one of the people that you've impacted decided they were going to go out and they were going to start some small groups, I mean, you have the potential over the next 10 years directly and indirectly to impact thousands of people's lives. And if we would agree just to do that together, listen, we would make history together, connecting, growing, and multiplying. Connecting, growing, when we get too big, we multiply, we birth, we start new groups. If we did that, we could reach the triangle and change the world. I mean, think about it. How else do you think one lone carpenter in just three years started a movement that has now covered the entire earth? It wasn't by adding, it was by multiplying. And that's why our greatest potential as a church isn't what happens at our weekend services. Our greatest potential to impact our community and our culture has everything to do with connecting in community and growing and multiplying and connecting again and growing and multiplying. And here's the cool part. To do that, you don't need a degree. You don't need a new skill or a talent. You don't have to go out and learn to play the guitar or go to seminary. You just show up and open up your life. You just show up and participate, and you watch God work. So we're asking you to get in a group that's committed to connecting and multiplying and forming new groups. Now, if you've got a better plan, 
If you got a better plan to impact thousands of people over the next 10 years, then go for it. In fact, I'd like to hear about it myself. But if you don't have a better plan, would you at least consider adopting this plan? After all, you're going to do something for the next 10 years. I mean, why don't you just spend a little bit of that time changing the world <laughs> for the cause of Jesus Christ? I know you don't have time. I get it. I know you're busy. But I'm telling you, the cumulative value of being in a small group will allow God to do great things in and through your life and in and through our church and in and through our community and eventually in and through our world. Just like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Watch John's story. Maybe you'll be encouraged. My name is John, and this is my small group story. Yeah, when we first set out to, me and my wife talked about it, prayed about it for a while, and decided to, to start a small group and take that step and, um, you know, get, list our group, we were, we were nervous that people weren't going to show up. We didn't know if anybody was going to be interested, and we were worried about uh, awkward silences. We were worried about not enough people showing up and staring at each other across the couch. You know, we, we had concerns about a lot of those things, but um, God really did bless it very quickly once we started our group and launched it. Um, people were approaching us and through the group finder saying, hey, we're interested in finding a group, and we grew very quickly, and um, it was a real blessing. You could just see God's hand in it. And we grew to the point where we had to split. You know, we have over 20 kids upstairs and, you know, the babysitter couldn't handle it anymore. So we ended up splitting and even following that split, both our group and the group that split off from us have grown to the point where we, we need to split again. And it's, it's really been amazing to watch God, you know, cause the growth and just to bless the groups. And it's cool that your, your common denominator is not that you're coming together because you like the same sports team or you have something in common. You, you serve the same God, you have the same value system, and you're, you're coming together for that reason and from all different walks of life. And I think that's cool. You just get to meet with people and just rub elbows with all, all different types of people all for the same purpose of you know trying to grow spiritually and glorify God. I think to be a good small group leader, you need to be willing to be a servant. It's a, a lot less um, public speaking ability or theology. And that's kind of, I think, going into it, what I thought was going to be the important skill set. But what's important, I think, now, having done it for a little while, is being present in the group members' lives, being there so when they need someone, something happens in their life, being there to, to be a shoulder, to, um, to assist, and be a support structure for them. I think if you are not in a small group now, you're missing out on one of the best things that Hope has to offer. You know, I feel like that's what really brings it to life and that's where your your faith really grows and um, where connections are formed and so I think there's a need and so if you if you're open and you have a house and that can host I, I think there's definitely a need for people to step up and um, to open up small groups and I think God will bless you if you take that stuff I, I do think it's one of the the best things about hope and if you're not in a small group you're missing out on something good